I listen to the Moth podcast quite a lot, but usually the people who speak are regular people. They're just not that famous. So imagine my surprise when this person showed up on the Moth. This, by the way, was the first audience of any size to be at a Moth performance since the beginning of the pandemic. Here's your host of the evening, comedy writer and performer, C.J. Hunt. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Moth. You like that? I start real Hunger Gamesy. Welcome back to the Mall. Um, we are here at United Palace, and and I say welcome back because it really does feel like that, right? Like to to I have not been able to see a moth audience like this, even though this is just a fraction of that audience. It, it is beautiful to be able to be with you and see you and to know that there are thousands at home uh, who are tuning in with us to experience this night. So the moth um, is dedicated to true stories told before a live and partially digital audience. All of these stories are told no notes, no net, what I love about the craft is it's just a storyteller, their own courage, and you, and your waiting ears and, and, and uh, excited eyes. Um, the theme, the theme is when you're home. You are home with us, and from the bottom of my heart, on the behalf of the moth, we just want to say, welcome home. Um, so for each of these storytellers, uh, instead of reading their illustrious bios, we like to introduce them by a question. Um, and the question is, what are three things that make you feel at home? And this first storyteller, he said, my wife, my kid, and my other kid. Um, we, we, are, we are excited to have him here. Please put all your hands together for Lynn manuel Miranda. Sometimes the truth just pops out. It is January 16th, 1997, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And my girlfriend Meredith has surprised me with tickets to see Rent for my 17th birthday. Ha! And um, we, we go up to the last row of, this is like original cast first year rent. And we go up to the last row of the mezzanine of the Nederlander Theater, and my mind is blown, and there's a moment in the second act where the truth just pops out. Meredith and I are what you would call in high school theater kids. <laughs> you know our kind. You've heard us warming up. You've seen our silly games. Zip, zap, zap. 10, 10987654321. You make fun of us. But we know something you don't know. We know that when we get to the auditorium, we are safe and we are making something that is bigger than all of us, we know 
while you are in your graves wondering who likes who and who hates who and whose life is over and who is thriving. We know life is bigger than our grade because we're making things with people of all other grades to try to make the best thing possible. Meredith and I met when I was cast as the Pirate King and she was the Major General's daughter in Pirates of Penzance. And the romance is inevitable because the job of the pirates is to romance the Major General's daughters. And we do show after show together. We did Godspell together. She directed a chorus line. I was her assistant on that. And that year, she takes me to see Rent. And there's a moment in the second act of Rent where Mark and Roger, Anthony Rapp and Adam Pascal, are having this heated moment. And Roger accuses Mark. He says, Mark has got his work. They say Mark lives for his work. And Mark's in love with his work. And I'm like, yeah, Mark. And he goes, Mark hides in his work. From what? From facing your failure, facing your loneliness, facing the fact you live a lie. What? <laughs> yes, you live a lie. Tell you why. You pretend to create and observe when you really detach from feeling alive. And that's when Jonathan Larson reached out and punched me straight in the heart. And the truth popped out. Because the moment that show started, I was like, oh, I'm Mark. Because I was the kid who carried the camcorder to school. I was the kid who, when I wasn't in the auditorium and was hanging out with my friends, I had a camera up instead of actually hanging out with my friends. While everyone else was actually getting to know each other, I held everyone at a remove and recorded the whole thing. So when Jonathan Larson's Roger says that to Mark, I felt like he was talking to me. And I went from someone who likes musicals and if he saves enough money, buys TKTS tickets on his birthday to thinking, oh, the truth can come out in a musical. You're allowed to write musicals. Um, and that's when I went from being a fan of musicals, of being a theater kid, to trying to write my first musical. And I wrote my first musical that year. Um, <laughs> it was called Nightmare in D Major. And I wrote it in a feverish weekend over a winter break. And we had a student-written theater club at my high school. They would have five student directors. They would pick five plays from the submissions from all over school. And my musical got picked. And it was the first musical ever done, because uh, they're usually just 20-minute, one-act plays. And so they did Nightmare in D Major. Fast forward to opening night, April 1997. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> and I should mention here that two things. One, my mother's a psychologist. Two, Nightmare in D Major is terrible. <laughs> um, it concerns our, our young protagonist who falls asleep and has a nightmare in D Major. And all of this Freudian concerns come to haunt him. Um, Chiefly among them, the main villain of the piece is a fetal pig he dissected in AP Bio who is back for revenge. 
Shakespeare, it ain't. Um, Rodgers and Hammerstein, it certainly ain't. And, um, and there's other characters that are all from the Freudian subconscious, because like I said, my mother's a psychologist. And there's an alcoholic Uncle Steve and a scary clown from a child's birthday party, and they're all coming back to haunt the protagonist in D major. And I'm sitting there, and, and the show is getting laughs. And I'm sitting in the audience, and I'm thrilled that the students who are watching and my parents who are watching are enjoying it. And there is a moment in the show where this little girl comes on stage. And she was played by an eighth grader. She was played by Sarah Schweisky. And she sings. You probably do not remember me, but in fourth grade you were in love with me. You don't know my name, but you know my face. Sometimes I get just a bit sad when I think that you have forgotten me, but I'll always be in your dreams, in your dreams, and I'll stay right here in your dreams, in your dreams. And several things happen at once. One, there is nothing funny or silly or student-like about this character. This character pops up. The, character, the main character tries to play with her and hang out with her, and he's cut off because he's told she passed away when he was young. And I suddenly remember that when I was four years old, my best friend died. She was, it's, it's the nightmare scenario for any parent. Um, each of her parents thought she was with the other and she drowned behind their home. And this is what I remember. I remember my mother telling me in my room on a morning when I had nursery school. I remember crying. I remember getting in the car that day. My nursery school teacher ran a carpool of her own students to take us to Uptown Nursery on 179th Street. And I remember that teacher whispering, Lynn's friend died, to every parent of the children she picked up along the way. I remember about a year of gray, just the memories are gray. I remember that year more vividly than I remember her. And I realize if anyone laughs at this part of this student show, I'll die. Because the truth popped out. Because I didn't remember her, but she showed up in my first musical. And I look over at my mother, who I'm sure has a lot to say about this. And they understand. And the show goes on, and it's a very silly ending, and the guy wakes up, and the play is over. But I get addicted to that feeling of the truth popping out in the show. And what are we all going to do when it's staring at us? I remember when, when I was writing uh, Hamilton and the line, uh, I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory, popped up. That is not in Ron Chernow's book. 
and is not in any history book, that's something coming out of me that makes me understand this person. And a lot of people, because I work a lot, sort of think, oh, well, he's, it's autobiographical, he's Hamilton. But I felt the exact same way when Aaron Burr said, if there's a reason I'm still alive when everyone who loves me has died, I'm willing to wait for it. That's not in any biography of Burr you're going to find. That's the moment where you write and you write until the truth pops out. Um, there's a moment in Hamilton where the parents lose a child, and I have had countless parents come up to me and say, how do you know what this feels like, and how did you find the words? And one thing that is true is that it took me a day to write that song. It wrote pretty quick. And another thing that is true is that I have been writing that song since I was four years old because I have imagined how that felt since I was four years old. And I remember poor Meredith, the girlfriend who got me tickets to rent, coming home to six voicemail messages from me saying, call me when you get home, call me when you get home, call me when you get home. Because I have imagined 50 ways she has died on the way home on the train from my house because of that year of gray. And I realize that when you choose your heroes, I chose Jonathan Larson, who tragically passed away the day before his show had its first public performance. And I wonder how he felt writing the second act of that show, watching Mark and Roger talk to each other as an artist in the midst of the plague of the AIDS crisis, as Jonathan watched friend after friend and a generation of artists die in this plague of this disease, and how he felt when he got to those lines, and how sometimes as an artist, all you can do is hold up the camera and bear witness until the truth pops out. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a Pulitzer Prize, Grammy, Emmy, and Tony Award-winning songwriter, actor, and director. He is the creator and original star of Broadway's Hamilton and In the Heights, and the recipient of the 2015 MacArthur Foundation Award and the 2018 Kennedy Center Honors. Mr. Miranda and the Miranda family are active supporters of initiatives that increase people of color's representation throughout the arts and government, and assure access to women's reproductive health and promote resilience in Puerto Rico. His 2021 film releases include In the Heights, Vivo Tick Tick Boom, Miranda's film directorial debut, and Disney's Encanto. He lives with his family, in New York. That's it. That's all there is. I'm off to watch Thor, the latest Thor movie, I guess. See you soon. <laughs>